You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Morning, church. My name is Jeff Ray. My wife, Ashley, and I serve as premarital mentors. Uh, I serve in men's Bible study and on the worship team and in the choir. And, And today we're reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, for a while he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on earth? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. morning. Yeah. To all of my uh, sisters and brothers in Christ, I greet you this morning. Those joining us by live stream, my name's Michael Morris, and I'm one of the elders here. I've recently given myself a new title as well. I am now the lead servant and teaching and prayer. Uh, pastor at one of the Kingdom of T- Kingdom and TVC's outpost on Hidden Springs Drive in Corinth. <laughs> All right. Uh, before I go any further, this morning I want to say to all of our brothers and sisters of Hispanic descent, Happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Now. Yeah. Now, I know that yesterday was the last day of Hispanic Heritage Month. It's the only one that begins, I think, in the middle of month and goes to the middle of the next month. But uh, I'm of the persuasion, better late than never. You know, the past two weeks in my vehicle, I've set the radio station on a Spanish praise uh, dial on my radio, on my radio. While most of my understanding has been unfruitful, uh, yet my heart and my spirit has rejoiced in the spirit uh, of praise and worship that has come across that station. I love and appreciate the diverse and distinct cultural uniqueness that our Father has bestowed upon our Hispanic brethren. I love your music, love your food, Sometimes it doesn't love me, but I love it. <laughs> I love your use of pastel colors and how you do those. I love your exuberant and passionate worship. Yes. TVC family, would you join with me in thanking our Father and showing some love for our Hispanic siblings? <laughs> yeah. Love you guys. Abuela, grandma, 
Gigi, Grammy, Granny, Gma, Gamma, Two Mama. That's from the hood. Nana, <laughs> Yaya, Uma, Mimi. Just a few of the different titles that we've given to contemporary grandmothers. Mine went to be with Jesus September the 14th, 2005, but I called her Big Mama. <laughs> now, for those of you who've only seen Martin Lawrence's movie, <laughs> Big Mama's House, Big Mama is not necessarily a physical description. Now, it can be, but not always. But more than that, it's a term of endearment and respect acknowledging the family matriarch, often covering three generations of those who despite their dire circumstances and lot in life, took seriously the responsibility to nurture, protect, and preserve the black family. It was at the end of my fifth grade year at A.E. Holland Elementary School in Wichita Falls, Texas, that I started to understand the role of Big Mama in our family. This is a time when our family and my world started falling apart. The day following my 10th birthday, President John F. Kennedy was assassinated, throwing a blanket of sorrow and grief over this entire nation, including my 10-year-old self at the time. Uh, by the end of the school year, our family had started coming apart at the seams as my stepfather and mom decided to go their separate ways. He headed north to Oklahoma City while she headed south, packed up her six kids and headed south back to Fort Worth to Big Mama's house. And there for the next year and a half or so, uh, all of us were crowded into Big Mama's 1,002 square foot frame home. My most dominant memory of living in Big Mama's house was the frequency with which I saw Big Mama on her knees. Uh, the way the house was situated in order to get to the boys' room, we had to go through Big Mama's room. And if I were up early in the morning, God forbid, uh, and walked through Big Mama's room, there she'd be on the side of her bed on her knees. Or if for some reason, I'm sneaking into the house beyond the time that I was allowed it out. I'd have to go through Big Mama's room, and there I would often see Big Mama on her knees praying to her God. I could not help but think about Big Mama as I prepared to share on this parable from Luke's gospel related to prayer. You see, in the Gospel of Luke, as well as the other four Gospels, we frequently see Jesus engaged in prayer or encouraging his disciples, his followers, to pray. We see at the time of his baptism, he prayed. Uh, as he began to go out and, and minister to the crowds, uh, Scripture tells us that the more the crowds grew, the more that he would resort to someplace alone to pray. Prior to selecting the 12 disciples who would uh, be his crew, he prayed all night in a mountain, the Bible says. Before asking the disciples who they thought he was and revealing his messiahship, 
he prayed. In the Garden of Gethsemane, we know he prayed. Uh, At his transfiguration, he prayed. Before the denial of Peter, he prayed. It was while observing Jesus in prayer that one of his disciples asked him, Lord, would you teach us to pray? You know, I've often thought about that. What was it that he saw that encouraged him to go to Jesus and said, teach us to pray? I I speculate and don't have any exact uh, documentation of it, but I speculate he saw a relationship between the father and the son that was so enticing that he said, hey, I want some of that. You know, I remember we were a part of a ministry back in the late 70s, and we had a worship leader, uh, much like the, the leaders that God has gifted us with here at TVC. It, it, it's a sacred hour almost as they lead us into the presence of the Lord. And there are times when I, I just want to close my eyes because uh, as I see some of these men and women standing here worshiping before us, that is an intimate moment. And my heart longs for more and more of that. You know, both Matthew and Luke record what we often refer to as the Lord's Prayer. There was a time when the church called it the Our Father because it focused on the relationship aspect of what was going on there. I want us to just, just take a moment and pray that prayer together. But before we do, here's something that the Lord moved in my heart several years ago when it comes to prayer and that I asked the Lord to do for me. I read the scripture where it says, many worship me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. But before we pray this prayer this morning together, I I, want to pray a prayer that I prayed many years ago, and that's this. Father, would you not allow these just to be words that fall from our lips, but would you allow every single word of what we are about to pray be tethered to our hearts. So with that, would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, based on Jesus' response to the disciples, we not only learn how to pray, but we get a template for prayer. Not that we should pray these exact words, but that becomes a template that we can fill in. Hallowed be thy name. What is the name of the Lord? Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Shalom, the God of all goodness. There are so many things that we could fill in in any part of this prayer as we pray. Jesus also in this prayer gave us a definition of prayer. Here's how I I put it. Prayer is the act of honoring and communicating with God as our transcendent Father. It is the submission and the aligning of our lives with his divine purposes. It is a confession of our faith and dependence on him for all of our needs, past, present, and future, spirit, soul, and body. 
This definition only scratches the surface of what prayer is, and it is so, as it is so, so much more. A Barna survey earlier this year, back in January actually, revealed that three out of five Christians acknowledge praying at least one time a week. Thus, it's no surprise when the topic of prayer is brought up that many will experience feelings of guilt and shame. However, as we dive into this prayer this morning, I want you to understand that this parable was not meant to bring condemnation for an anemic prayer life, nor to throw shade on those who think that they can pester God till he relents and gives them what they want. Rather, it is an invitation to enter into a constant communion with our Father. So let's dive into the parable. Luke 18, 1. Let's start there. And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. You know, Luke wrote those particular words, and I thought as I read it, the audacity of Luke not to give us a spoiler alert about what the parable is all about. Most of the parables, we don't get this information until we get to the end of the parable, but Luke put it right out front. It's so that we will always pray and not faint. You know, as the all-wise and good shepherd, Jesus knew that there would be times and seasons in our lives when we would be rocked to the core of our souls by delayed or even unanswered prayers. He knew that in those times that we would have not we will not have to deal only with the delays or the silence, but we'd also have the relentless taunts of the enemy's accusation against the character of our God. So he gives this parable full of truth and wisdom as an anchor for those times. The rest of the passage says, he said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man, and there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterwards he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect who cry out day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus gives us here an extreme yet realistic illustration of what happened when an ungodly, unrighteous, unjust, uncaring judge encounters a desperate, destitute, and dependent widow in her distress. In spite of her daily protest, and we know that she was protesting on the courthouse steps, carrying her sign, no justice, no peace. She just kept coming day in, day out. And I, I, I thought about Jesus giving such a parable. You know, today we would put a four-word four letter on Jesus for using some of the terms he used here. Yeah, Jesus was woke. <laughs> I, 
I, I, I'm sorry. We're forgiven. All right. Anyway, moreover, back to the scriptures. And someone said, amen. <laughs> moreover, in the, let, let's look at what's required of a leader. Uh, when Moses was leading the children of Israel, his father-in-law was uh, going along with them, and they saw that this burden was so heavy on Moses. He says, Moses, you can't do this by yourself. And so Jethro said, and I believe he was inspired by the Lord, here's what you need to do. Exodus 18 and verse 21, starting there. He says, moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people uh, as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, of tens, and let them judge the people at all times. So here's the qualifications. Here are the requirements for a judge. They had to be able or competent men who were taken from among the people. That is, they could relate to the people. They had to be men who, could fe who feared God, perhaps the most important of all of the requirements. They had to have a fear of God. They had to honor God, respect God. And we understand from scriptures that without the fear of the Lord, there is no wisdom. For it's the fear of the Lord that leads us to wisdom. And the last item was they had to be trustworthy. They had to hate bribes. They couldn't be looking out for their own interests, which was exactly the opposite of the widow or the judge that we read about in Luke's parable, in the parable that Jesus got. Gave. The judge in this parable represents the circumstances or obstacles to our prayers. And most of us, if we've been a Christian any length of time, understand that there are obstacles in our way when we pray. Let me just mention a few of them. This is not comprehensive, but some. Jesus told his disciples, when you go to the altar and bring your gift to the altar, if there you remember you have something against your brother or your brother has something against you, you need to clear that off the table and go and be reconciled to your brother. Otherwise, I'm not ready to hear your prayer. Okay? Uh, another occasion, and this one is to the brothers, not just the brothers, more specifically to the men, not just the men, specifically the husbands. Peter says, dwell with your wives in an understanding way and give them honor as joint heirs, lest your prayers be hindered. I don't know about you, brothers, but I've had to get off my knees at times and go and see Miss Deb and say, babe, I'm sorry. Because I want to, you know, as a matter of fact, that was a gift of God when I got on my knees to pray that he would say, hey, you're not, this is not the time. All right. Sometimes unrepentant sin, uh, the psalmist says, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Those are easy things to deal with. Lord, I'm sorry. Forgive me. Get it off the table. Sometimes wrong motives in the book of James. He said, James said, you have not because you ask not. And even when you're asking, you ask a myth. 
that you might heap it upon your own lust. You've got the wrong motives. And those will hinder our prayers. And again, this is not comprehensive, but one of the things that you need to understand is that we are fighting against an enemy who at times will hinder our prayers. You remember the, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel's praying before the Lord and just pouring out his heart before the Lord, and 21 days pass. And finally, the angel breaks through and goes, the angel Gabriel says, hey, Daniel, you were heard on the very first day, but I was resisted by the prince of Persia, and I had to call for some backup, and Michael came to help me, and I was able to bring the answer to your prayers. We cannot neglect that we are in a spiritual warfare. And Paul in the book of Ephesians, the sixth chapter, talked about this. Put on the whole armor of God that you might stand, having done all, having done all to stand, stand against the works of the enemy. Oh, what are you believing for? What are you praying for? What have you been praying for for a long time? Make sure that we're not the cause of those obstacles. And if we are just... Hey, get them out on the table. If it's the enemy, Paul says, hey, you have been given uh, the right to pray all kinds of prayers, he says in the book of Ephesians. He says, praying with all prayers. One of those prayers is a prayer of resistance. Oh, we need to learn to pray, pray prayers of resistance because we have an enemy that comes against us. So that's the judge. On the other hand, there was this widow not only should she have been protected by the judge, but also she had the force of God's word and God's truth on her side. Again, let's look at the book of Exodus to determine what the Lord's expectation for the treatment of widows happens to be. Exodus 22, he says, and you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child, if you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn and I will kill you with the sword and your wives shall become widows and your children fatherless. By the way, the verse right before where we started, he also included in this group aliens, strangers. We call them immigrants today. You know, while some would argue, man, that's Old Testament. Let me tell you what, this is New Testament too. Beware how you entertain strangers. Pure religion and undefiled is this, that you look out for the widows and the orphans. So let's not push it away. Based on these two passages, I believe that we would all agree that the Lord is serious uh, about the behavior of judges as well as the mistreatment of widows. But Jesus uses this to teach us lesson. The widow here demonstrates that the faith to persist in prayer and never lose heart is grounded in the promises that God made. Why could she keep coming back again and again and again, even though this one who had power to uh, give her what she needed was resisting? Why did she keep coming back? Because she knew the Lord had said, hey, I got your back. I got you covered. And so she just kept coming. She kept coming. Because of their prominence in this parable, we often call this the parable of the unjust judge or the parable of the persistent widow or the parable of the judge and the widow. 
I want to reframe the title and what we call this parable this morning. I want to call it the parable of the God who has chosen us in his love, who hears our every prayer, who answers appropriately every time. Look at the verses again in six, verse 6 and 7. He says, hear what the unjust, unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? He is talking here, and Jesus wants us to know that this is not a comparison between an unjust judge and a righteous God. This is a contrast between an unjust judge and a righteous God. And the idea is, will he not more, how much more will he not give his elect? And, and, and Luke uses that word elect because that's talking about you and I as believers. That's us who have been chosen by God, not because we deserved his choosing, but because he is a God of love and he loves us and he has chosen us and called us to his self. Jesus speaks of the Father in this parable as the one who hears our every prayer. Those who cry out to him day and night. He hears you when you cry, uh, beloved. And not only that, he refers to the Father as the one who can and will respond appropriately to our persistent cries of faith. This parable to always pray is not a call to a duty or a call to harassing God for what we want, but it's an invitation for constant communion and sweet fellowship with our Father. This is what the disciples saw and longed for when they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray. They saw a relationship with the Father that was irresistible, and they were saying, not just teach us to pray, they were saying, Lord, that's what I want. I know that's the cry of the hearts of God's people because the seed that's within us is an incorruptible seed, and our cry is, but many times we're halted by the obstacles that come in our way. This parable is not teaching us that all our prayers will be answered without delay or in the way that we imagine that they will be answered. The message is clear. We are to always pray and not lose heart. Always pray. That's in every season of life. That's when we're walking on the mountaintop with the Lord. That's when we're walking in the valleys with the Lord. It's when we are enjoying plenty or we are in positions of wants. It's when we're feasting and when we're fasting. It's in times of exaltations and it's in times of crushing. Whether we're being refreshed or we're in a drought season. Times when we can sense the Lord's nearness as close to us as our own skin. And those times when the heavens seem like brass and our words don't go beyond the ceiling. We're to always pray. So what is it that caused believers to lose heart, to faint, to become weary? Could be afflictions. Could be temptations, could be trials, could be the sufferings of others, delays, 
unanswered prayers. But hear what Jesus said in John 16, He said, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have afflictions. You will have difficulties. You know, a lot of times we sort of poke at some of our brothers who've gotten off in their doctrine and think that they can confess and pray anything away. But how often do we get in distraught? Do we get weary when our prayers are not being answered? Believe me, there are some things that I've been praying for for years. Haven't seen them yet. But the word of the Lord invites me into this place where I'm not so focused. Well, I do want to see results, but more than that, what I get in my relationship with the Father cannot compare. Listen to what Jesus said again in the eighth eighth verse, the last verse. He says, I tell you that he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find first faith on the earth? Man, for years, this verse was an enigma to me. But Jesus poses a question that points how we are to avoid and deal with the temptation to lose heart. And it's by faith. Faith The Bible says it's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Simply faith is believing that God meant what he said and ordering our lives to live as though it's true. That's exactly what the widow did here. She knew the word of the Lord that says, hey, if I cry to the Lord, he's going to deal with the one who's trying to withhold Uh, what's rightfully mine. What do we do? We start pointing fingers at that judge and talking about that judge when we need to change our perspective and understand that, that the word of the Lord says that this is the confidence that we can have in him. First John, that if we ask anything according to his will, he will hear us. And if he hear us, we can be confident that we have what we ask of him. You see, it's in prayer that many times that adjustment is made to our motives. That adjustment has to be made to what it is that the will of the Lord is in a situation, in a given situation. It's in prayer and in communion, sweet communion with the Lord that we come to understand. So believing that the Lord meant what he said and living like it's true. You know, I remember a prayer that I prayed uh, January of 1974, as I recall it. I'm reading scripture and I'm studying scripture and all of a sudden I come across this word grace. Lord, what does that mean? I'm not sure I understand what grace is. Would you please tell me what grace is all about? And it was not too many days afterwards that I am completing a job that I was doing for the church and uh, and it was an assignment I'd been given 
And man, I poured my heart into it. I poured my soul into it. I did it with all the excellence that I had at that particular time. And once I got it done, I stepped back and I'm looking at it. Wow, Lord, this is good. You got to really appreciate me, Lord. Yeah, that was, that was what my heart said. I didn't say it with my mouth, but that's what my heart was saying. And the Lord, by his grace and the Holy Spirit says, Michael, it doesn't matter what you do or you don't do. Nothing could make me love you more. I saw the grace of God in that time of prayer that changed my life forever. Some of us are struggling, trying to do to please God, trying to be something to please God. He says, it's by faith that we please him. We're saved by grace through faith. It's not of our works. It's not something that's born of us, but it is from God. You see, I prayed a prayer that was consistent with what the Lord wanted, and he delighted to quickly move and speedily move in answering that prayer. How do I know that that was according to the will of the Lord? Because Peter said, grow in grace and in the knowledge of the Lord. And God wanted me to understand what grace was. Now, I, as I said a moment ago, I've got some prayers that I've still been praying for. And, and I'm saying, Lord, what's going on here? Help me, teach me, show me in these situations. It's faith. Let me read the scripture to you from Hebrews 10, 35. You can write it down if you're taking notes, but you don't have to turn there. It says, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, your faith in the Lord, which has a great reward for you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what has been promised for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But my righteous one shall live by faith, and if he shrinks back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. But we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and persevere, preserve their souls. It's by faith. If God said it, man, you can stand on it till the cows come home. You can stand on it until all hell freezes over. It will come to pass. TVC family, this morning I want to encourage you and I want to invite you into a life of constant communion with our Father. Some of you are already there and you have a daily rhythm. You have a daily uh, habit of entering into and beginning your day and closing your day and even interrupting your days in prayer. We're to always pray. Yeah, I understand that you've got work to do. You've got kids that are pulling at you. You've got a boss that has expectations. There are deadlines to be met. But you know what? God's given, I'm going to say most of us, a mobile tabernacle. You know what? I get so much of my prayer done in my mobile tabernacle when I have to drive 38 miles down to Arlington. Just me and the Lord. There have been times and I've almost, Lord, but they're going to see me crying like a baby up in here. <laughs> but you know what? That's all right. Yeah. 
There have been times when I've been just filled with the joy. You know, he says, in the presence of the Lord, there is fullness of joy. Boy, I feel like preaching up in here. (laughs) But I want to encourage you and I want to invite you into this place of constant communion with the Lord. The one who has chosen you, chosen us in his love. The one who hears our every prayer. The one who can and will respond appropriately, not necessarily the way we think he should, but he is going to respond appropriately to your persistent cry of faith. Let me encourage you this morning to engage in, and if you haven't already, establish a regular rhythm of personal prayer. You know, the prayer we prayed earlier, give us this day. To me, he is saying this ought to happen daily. I would argue from scripture, it's, it should happen more than one time a day. The Jews prayed, and, and, and in the Old Testament, they prayed three times a day. And the temple was opened three times a day. We read of the apostles going up at the hour of prayer to pray. Not only that, in your personal prayer life. And let me say this. That's something that you're going to have to fight for. Because you've got an enemy who is putting up obstacles. Man, how many things can you think of when you think, I'm going to go and spend 10 minutes in prayer? How many things flood your mind Things that are good things that need to be done. But the Lord is saying, hey, I want to spend time with you. I love you so much. I want to spend time with you. I want to hold you close. I want to be your comforter. I want to be your guide. He's inviting us into that. Not only in personal prayer, but I would also encourage you to find one of the many groups and opportunities within the TVC family where you are engaged in corporate prayer. The staff meets here on Wednesdays, except for when they're having uh, staff or what is it, restore. There are brothers and sisters meeting in parks, meeting on Zoom, meeting in coffee shops, spending time, prayer together. Get into one of those groups. Fight to enter into that that place of silence, that place, that holy place of sweet communion with Jesus. I think about the psalmist that talks about dwelling under the shadow of the Most High where we sense and know his love. Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, you are good and your steadfast love endures forever. Father, how often is it that we busy ourselves with trying to do for you, trying to be for you, when you have called us to be with you? Lord, I I remember the words in, in the book of Acts, that they took note, that is the world around them, took note that they had been with Jesus. Father, may we live our lives in your presence in such a constant, continuous way that when we step foot out of our houses, 
when we walk into the marketplace, when we walk on our jobs, when we open our mouths, not that we are taking a scripture text and preaching the gospel, but our lives are preaching. The very fragrance of our lives bears witness to the fact that we have been with you. God, help us to fight the fight of faith and always pray and not lose heart. We love you, we bless you, and we ask these things in your name and for your glory. Amen.